Previously on Caustic Soda. A circle of horses that are all trotting in a circle, and you're running in the opposite direction. What, what is the point of this? It's just a, <laughs> runner's trots. Yeah, they just they had all the ferrets in a big room, then they released the puma. <laughs> there you go. The uh, Spider-Man villain, the Hobbling Goblin. Yeah. I'll get you, Spider-Man, as soon as I get up off the floor. <laughs> Not as bad as the Badwater Ultra Marathon, Ooh. Oh. which describes itself as the world's toughest foot race. Uh, so, I hear a Badwater Marathon. Yeah, Ultra Marathon. Mm-hmm. It is a 135-mile course yep. starting at 279 feet below sea level okay. in the Badwater Basin in California's Ooh. Death Valley. So you have oh, to nice. start running it in a scuba suit under the sea. <laughs> yes. 279 feet under the sea. And you got to run out of the ocean and then drop yeah, your run, gear and then keep running. You try running in those flippers. That's right. Mm. Mm. Very hard. Yeah. Mm. It's good and exercise. Ends at an elevation of 8,360 feet at Whitney Portal, the trailhead to Mount Whitney. Now, originally it was 150 miles because you actually had to get to the top of Mount Whitney to right. do this. Uh-huh. But you now need uh, permits and stuff to be able to do that. Right. So and the, they the, sent and, to the trailhead. And the winner, heavily air-quoted, throws themselves <laughs> off of the mountain because they hate their lives now. Yeah. They don't want to. They don't want to go on living. What they've done to themselves. Yeah, oh, man. Some people actually turn around and go back. Yeah. Uh, which is called the. Uh, uh, I forget the name now. I, the, I really. I'm trying to kill myself. This is a. Uh, you know, uh, ultramarathon assisted suicide. <laughs> it takes place annually in mid July. When the weather conditions are most extreme and temperatures yeah. over 120 Fahrenheit, 49 Celsius, even in the shade, are not uncommon. Uh, Consequently, very few people, even among ultra marathoners, are capable of finishing this grueling race. Right. How many people have died? Ooh, I, I have don't have. I didn't see any notes that people have, so I'm guessing that they were covered and so taken they, care of. They yeah. only did this they once, just, or they yeah. just, or they got. This the is a terrible race. idea. Let's <laughs> not do this ever again. <laughs> or they were like partway through and were like, "Yeah, I quit." All of these big races have really dedicated volunteers and medical staff who are there to to keep an eye on someone. If you're going to keel over somewhere, doing it during a race is probably not a bad idea. You're going to get attention right away. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. if I have like if I'm having like another kidney stone, mm. okay. Uh, and there's a marathon closer to me than the hospital. Uh-huh. I'll just go there. I see. <laughs> and then you just collapse there, and then That's they'll right. be like, "What's going on?" Well, although no one, you're not going to fool anybody as an ultra marathoner, Torin. No one's going to look at you and go, "Oh, he started this race for sure." That's <laughs> just uh, Jiffy Marker 69 in the front of my t-shirt. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> For the classiest of all the numbers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Going from the hottest race to probably the coldest race, the Antarctic Ice Marathon and 100K. Ah. This was established to enable marathon runners to complete a marathon on all seven continents. And uh, and 100K means 100 have been killed doing this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 100,000. Yeah, 100,000 deaths. deaths. Yeah. Runnings of the Antarctic Ice Marathon and 100-kilometer race have taken place at 80 degrees south, just a few hundred miles from the South Pole. Uh-huh. Participants are flown from Punta Arenas, Chile, to a race location in the interior of the Antarctic and experience anything from sub-zero temperatures to 24 hours of daylight while there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, closer to home, there's the Canadian Death Race. Ah, uh, yeah. Also a great movie. Yeah. The Canadian it's like, Death it Race was like, it was, Yeah, it was like Bob and Doug McKenzie meets Death Race 2000. It's just right. whenever you run over people, you say you're sorry after. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I killed you. 
The Canadian Death Race is a 125-kilometer foot race through the Canadian Rocky Mountains in Grand Cache, Alberta. It includes three mountain summits, one major river crossing, and 17,000 feet of elevation change. And 12 bears. The race has been... (laughs) (laughs) And by that, we mean incredibly hairy gentlemen. And untold numbers of moose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The race has been held annually on the August long weekend since the year 2000. I actually, I'm thinking of doing that this summer, but it's part of a relay team. So you can split it up into like four or five people mm. and then you're not running the whole. Cheating. Uh, Cheater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 20 kilometers, 25 kilometers running on trails at elevation. Meh, nothing. I'll see you there. <laughs> I don't know if I can walk 25 kilometers in, in, in elevation these days. Uh-huh. In the history. <laughs> The marathon is a long-distance running event with an official distance of 42.195 kilometers, or 26.21875 miles. Mm, That's a very specific number. It's 26 miles and 385 yards. I wonder why that is. I am not entirely sure. Uh, It's usually run as a road race. uh, I was going to say, there is actually a whole history about changing the length of the marathon uh-huh. so it's not particularly interesting but basically they just kept kind of changing it a little bit and i think it ended up that distance for completely arbitrary reasons so people could finish in front of the monarchy ah okay yeah. that makes sense mm-hmm. uh, the event was instituted in commemoration of the fabled run of the greek soldier Pheidippides. That sounds like something you bring to a party that everybody loves. It's like, oh, I brought my Fidipides. Oh, I love that with nacho chips. And everyone cheers, Fidipides. Yeah, that's right. Uh, He was a messenger from the Battle of Marathon to Athens. Uh Upon arriving in Athens, it's claimed that he said, joy to you, we have won, and then died. Yeah, that sounds plausible. But uh, (laughs) not true. The, basically, it looks like it was an invention of somebody several hundred years later, and it's just kind of carried on. It's and there like, may have been a messenger. But Joe, the Greeks aren't known for making up stories uh, and creating a mythos <laughs> about them. They are nothing but truth tellers that Not don't have all. anything to do and, and with. The, the Battle of Marathon totally happened. It's just so Marathon know. was a place. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the Battle of Marathon was just everybody running in a circle until like the last <laughs> person was standing. Once you caught the guy, you got to hit him. That's right. And then and the guy ran for 26 miles and he was the last man standing. Right. Yeah. The idea of a marathon race came from Michael Brial, who wanted the event to feature in the first modern Olympic Games in 1896 in Athens. Uh-huh. Uh, that would be Athens, Greece, not Athens, Georgia. Mm-hmm. It was to be a great popularizing event recalling the ancient glory of Greece. Right. Oh, the ancient glory. So, 1896, first marathon. Women were not allowed to run in it. It was men only. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, it's 1896. I mean, that's not... Uh, they couldn't even vote. The what petticoats, was, men. What yeah. was the year of the first women's marathon in the Olympics? Oh, when did that get added? 2014. <laughs> uh, I don't think that that was a... I'm going to go with 1980, because they needed, like, more competitors when they, like, you know, when the Russians decided not to show up. That's a pretty good guess. It was actually 1984, the 1984 Summer Olympics in L.A. The year oh, I was... I, that, that was what I wanted. To, <laughs> yep. That's what I wanted to say. The yep. year I was born. Big Brother is watching. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that's it that I've got on marathons, except for my favorite quote-unquote marathon, uh-huh. which is Terry Fox's Marathon of Hope. As a child, Canadian Terry Fox was an enthusiastic athlete playing soccer, rugby, and baseball, and eventually distance running. And Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Ooh, really? No, I don't know. Oh. Did, what was he? Did he play That would have made him more endearing I, to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> In March 1977, pain in his knee he'd felt since a car accident in December became intense, and he finally went to a hospital where he was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, a form of cancer that often starts near the knee. Knee cancer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. 
He was told that his leg had to be amputated, he would require chemotherapy treatment, and that recent medical advances meant he had a 50% chance of survival. Right. He also learned that only two years earlier, the figure would have been 15%. Right. Right. There you go. Because of science. Because yeah. of science. Yep. And, and hacksaws. With the help of an artificial leg, Fox was walking three weeks after the amputation. He yeah. then progressed to well, playing golf with his father. Walking. I, I would call it's it more like, skipping. Yeah, yeah, more like skipping. Well, yeah. that was his running, but oh, we'll get yeah. to that. While enduring the 16 months of chemotherapy, he saw mm. fellow cancer patients suffer and die from the disease. Fox ended his treatment with a new purpose. He felt he owed his survival to medical advances and wished to live his life in a way that would help others find courage. Mm -hmm. The night before his cancer surgery, Fox had been given an article about Dick Trom, who in 1976 had become the first amputee to complete the New York City Marathon. Mm. As opposed to Dick Trauma, which happens. Dick Trauma. Dick, oh, man. (laughs) Which happens during unfortunate sexual escapades. I I would have thought that would inspire more running to avoid the trauma, but... Mm. The article inspired him. He embarked on a 14-month training program, telling his family he planned to complete a marathon himself. In private, he devised a more extensive plan. Ooh, behind closed doors. The uh, secret life uh, of Terry Fox. Oh, somehow the Illuminati is involved. Yeah. Fox- Conspiracy! Conspiracy! Fox ran with an unusual gait. The extra time the springs in his artificial leg required to reset after each step meant he had to hop step on his good leg. Oh, Uh, I see. The training was painful as the additional pressure he had to place on both his good leg and his stump led to bone bruises, blisters, and intense pain. You get a bone bruise? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fox found that after about 20 minutes of each run, he crossed a pain threshold and the run became easier. Sweet, sweet endorphins. He's 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 one of those. (laughs) He put put an endorphin in his uh, his leg, right? He just (laughs) would swim around his stump and make it feel better. I have to admit, like watching his, there are video of of him running and just watching him run as a runner. It just like, it makes me cringe because it looks so painful. Yeah. Oh, it's just a pain in his face. In August of 1979, Fox competed in a marathon in Prince George, British Columbia. He finished in last place, 10 minutes behind his closest competitor. Loser. Nah, that's right. Bum. But his effort was met with tears and applause from the other uh, participants. That's pronounced tears. Uh, <laughs> tears <laughs> that's and applause. Right, that's right. Were they macro or micro t- tears? <laughs> they all had like, yay, Terry Fox signs. They tore them up like, last place, boo! <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. So, definitely macro. Yeah. Following the marathon, he revealed his full plan to his family. In the hope of increasing cancer awareness, one-legged Terry Fox intended to run the length of Canada, mm-hmm. 8,000 kilometers, 5,000 miles long. He would do this by running a marathon every single day. Fox yeah. initially hoped to raise $1 million, but later sought to raise $1 for each of Canada's then 24 million people. He's always changing his goalposts. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding, eh? And by the way, like, there's a guy who ran a marathon in like two and a half hours. I mean, we're only talking about like two and a half hours a day at work, right? I mean, this is like so <laughs> much a cakewalk. On Slacker. one leg every yeah. day, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. It, they, yeah, but it, it, true or false? A guy has run a marathon in less than two and a half hours. And then passed out and vomited, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And how many days does it take to recover from a marathon, Katie? Uh, Usually we we would say about a day for every mile, so that would be 26 miles for a marathon. Um, You know, if you're an elite athlete, probably a little bit less. An athlete? An athlete? An an elathlete? No, I can't even say that. (laughs) Elite athlete? An elite athlete? Yeah, you know what those people are called? Wussies. Oh. Oh. Wussies. I can tell you it was at least a week after my half marathon. Uh-huh. Yeah. And like you get out of bed the next morning you're, and you like stand and your legs go thunk. 
My favorite part about the CBC documentary that they like uh, this guy went out with them and he like shot footage of them like doing this thing every day mm-hmm. and like his buddy who was driving the follow van. I mean, this was like the rattiest looking. <laughs> really like trashed ghetto van you've ever seen like it it kind of felt like it's the kind of van you would like you know think a pedophile was driving right you know (laughs) like thanks for the camper van ford (laughs) (laughs) thanks for your donation (laughs) shitty car Uh, Fox contacted the Canadian Cancer Society with his plan, and they agreed to support him once he'd acquired sponsors and a medical certificate from a heart specialist stating he was fit to attempt Mm. the run. I guess you don't want him dying on the first day. No. Uh, Yeah, okay. Ford donated a camper van. Imperial Oil contributed fuel and Adidas his running shoes. He turned away any sponsorship that uh, required uh, that he endorse products uh, or any donation that carried conditions. He insisted that nobody was to profit from his run. This was a big deal. Lots uh, of people but he was sponsored by uh, the cigarette companies. Oh, yeah. Please stop running. <laughs> yeah. Stop encouraging people to can live you, healthy. Can you smoke a cigarette while you run? That's right. I have right. actually seen this. <laughs> Seriously, someone running in a park, smoking a cigarette while running. Sure. Uh, okay, well, it adds four more years to his life. He might as well enjoy those four <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. Don't you need oxygen right then, though? <laughs> I know. It just And it also seemed like a lot to try and manage all at once. Maybe they were oxygenated uh, cigarettes. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Blood doping cigarettes. Somehow burning oxygen makes oxygen. Mm-hmm. The marathon began on April 12, 1980, when Fox dipped his right leg into the Atlantic Ocean near St. John's, Newfoundland, and mm-hmm. filled two large bottles with ocean water. He intended to keep one as a souvenir and pour the other into the Pacific Ocean upon completing his journey at Victoria, British Columbia. Oh, contamination. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, I know. Like, what would, I don't know. It would be yeah, fine. So, okay. some sort of, it was cold. Yeah, no, he caught like a little uh, zebra, uh, zebra zebra muscle, muscle spore in there, oh, and he like right. it spreads it it's to okay, the West Coast. It's okay, they're fresh water. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. Fox's friend Doug Alward drove the van and cooked the meals. Uh-huh. Fox would wake at 4 a.m. and run 12 miles, again, on one leg. Well, No, no, he had a prosthetic leg. Okay, yes. On a prosthetic leg and his real leg. With springs. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not like a pogo stick. (laughs) Kind of looks like a shitty one. Yeah, I I think there have been great advances in prosthetic leg technology since that time. Yeah, tons, This is not the cool blades uh, of long ago. I'll definitely put up some videos. (laughs) It it probably did, yes. No, I mean, once you go to the website and check out the video, you'll see it's, for anybody who's not familiar with Terry Fox, it is an awkward gait, to say the least. Yeah. So he'd run 12 miles in the morning, rest, and then run 14 miles in the afternoon. And he'd take donations as he ran. People would yeah. just run up to him and hand him money, and he'd take it. Oh, I remember, like, when this was happening, I was in elementary school. And, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, um, it was so inspirational. Like, people yeah. were passing around buckets, and everyone was just, like, throwing money in it, right? Mm-hmm. You know? He was on the news every day. Yep. They, like, had news vans following him. Fox was met with gale force winds, heavy rain, and a snowstorm in the first days of his run. He was initially disappointed with the reception he received, but he was heartened upon arriving in Port Basque, Newfoundland, where the town's 10,000 residents presented him with a donation of over $10,000. Wait, where did he start? Uh, he started uh, in St. John's, Coast. Newfoundland. Yeah. Okay. East Coast, St. John's. And Port Basque is in the southwest of Newfoundland. Yeah. Port Basque is pretty much, I think you're basically at the end of Newfoundland and you're going to yeah. head over. So that's yeah. where the ferry is that takes right. you to Nova Scotia. Yeah. yeah. Nobody cares about that. Oh. <laughs> oh, I actually sorry. I should mention uh, he probably ran the way to Porta Basque, like coming right out of it, is a stretch of highway called the Wreck House. Ooh. And the reason it's called the Wreck House is because you get these massive, massive, massive winds that have. I think there's been a few cases of trucks actually getting blown off the highway. Mm. So oh. he he would have had to. That's where the Trans Canada Highway is. Oh, so wow. he would have had to run through the Wreck House, which the Wreck House. I know, right? Mm-hmm. 
Throughout the trip, Fox frequently expressed his anger and frustration to those he saw as impeding the run, and he fought regularly with Allward. By the time they reached Nova Scotia, they were barely on speaking terms, and it was arranged for Fox's 17-year-old brother, Daryl, to join them as a buffer. Oh, a Just, uh... I don't want to see that guy or talk to the guy. You tell him from me, me. that he's a jerk. Well, he says from you, well, he says for, for me to tell you that you're a jerk. Yeah, but that sounds like a lot of fun. But you're a jerk doing a great thing, so yeah. he's not going anywhere. No, it was uh, they communicated it, they, how he, uh, the guy who was driving the van expressed his anger. He just like floored it and like went all the way to the 26 <laughs> miles. He's like, nah, meet you there, meet you there. See you at the end of the run. I'm gonna like sit here and smoke a cigarette and like, <laughs> you know. Fox faced new challenges entering Quebec due to his group's inability to speak French mm-hmm. and drivers who continually forced him off the road. Nice. Now, I mm-hmm. I remember this because I saw the documentary and I tried to find video of it. And mm-hmm. there were people who were mad that some guy was running on the side of the road and like yeah. would swerve at him. Which means I guess they're not watching the news because yeah. at that time he was a he was a national story. He was well, he he was becoming a headline news. That's yeah. for sure. Despite the sweltering heat of summer, he continued to run twenty six miles per day. The physical demands of running a marathon every day took its toll on Fox's body. Mm-hmm. Apart from a few, imagine that. Yeah, I know, shocking. Mm-hmm. Apart from a few days rest in Montreal, taken at the request of the Cancer Society, he refused to take a day off, even on his twenty-second birthday. He, cancer he should, doesn't take off. Take it, a day off. I'm not going that's to. Probably. He, what he, said. he should have uh, taken a page out of the books of those like uh, running phobics, phobiacs who you know have to barrel roll everywhere. Stabophobophobes. <laughs> <laughs> he frequently suffered shin splints and an inflamed knee. Uh, only one shin splint. Shin splint. <laughs> yeah. right. Fair. Uh. Fair. Uh-huh. He developed cysts on his stump Ugh. and experienced dizzy spells. Ooh, stump cysts. Yeah. At, w- uh. at one point, he suffered a soreness in his ankle that would not go away and feared he had developed a stress fracture. Right. Terry ran for three more days before seeking medical attention three more and, days. Yeah. Three more days. <laughs> and was relieved to learn it was tendonitis and could be treated with painkillers. Oh, okay. okay. Fox rejected calls for him to seek regular medical checkups and dismissed suggestions that he was risking his future health. By late August, Terry found he was already exhausted before he began his day's run. Oh, mm-hmm. no. On September 1st, outside Thunder Bay, Ontario, he was forced to stop briefly after he suffered an intense coughing fit and experienced pains in his chest. Unsure what to do, he resumed running as the crowds along the highway shouted out their encouragement. A few miles later, short of breath... Kill yourself! Kill yourself! Kill yourself! A few miles later, short of breath and with continued chest pain, he asked Allward to drive him to a hospital. He feared immediately that he had run his last kilometer. Uh The next day, Fox held a tearful press conference during which he announced that his cancer had returned and spread to his lungs. Sucks. I have the video here. Uh, this is kind of heartbreaking, so I'm going to play it for you. I'm going to put a better copy of this into the actual uh, audio. I think that the entire documentary that we've been referencing, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I watched it on YouTube. It's probably there, yeah. So I think, like, really, truly, this documentary is well worth watching. Mm-hmm. Here we go. So this is Terry. He's, he's in a stretcher right now talking to the press. My cancer had spread. And now I've got cancer in my lungs. And... Uh, we got to go home and, tr- and try and do some more treatment. But uh, all I can say is uh, if there's any way I can get out there again and finish it, I will. Yeah. Hey, died on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't got to that yet, Tom. <laughs> 
He was forced to end his run after 143 days and mm-hmm. 5,373 kilometers. That's 3,339 miles. Mm-hmm. He refused offers to complete the run in his stead, stating that he wanted to complete his marathon himself. At this time, he had raised $1.7 million. Supporters and well-wishers from around the world inundated Fox with letters and tokens of support. At one point, he was receiving more mail than the rest of his hometown of Port Coquitlam combined. I thought you were going to say, he was receiving more mail than his home could hold. <laughs> well, probably. Such was his fame that one letter addressed simply to Terry Fox, Canada, was successfully delivered. You know my buddy Terry, and he lives in Canada, right? No, it was actually <clears throat> accidentally delivered to the town of Terry Fox. Ah, you see. Uh, yeah, yeah, Terry, uh, there may Terry be one. Foxville. If there isn't one now, there will be at some point, probably. In the following months, Fox received multiple chemotherapy treatments. However, the disease continued to spread. I talked about this in, I think, our cancer episode where I uh, there's a book by Douglas Copeland that when it gets to this point in his life, uh, it's a full-sized, beautiful photo book just called mm-hmm. Terry. You can buy it now, $25. All the, a lot of the proceeds go to cancer research. Uh, I'll put a link up to buy it, actually. The book has this life-size picture of a lemon, mm-hmm. which is about the size of a man's fist, like yeah. a lemon the size of my fist, and a golf ball. And those are the size of the tumors in each of his lungs. Right. And it says, hold this up to your chest so that you can understand the size of the tumors in Terry's lungs and how big they had to get before he quit. Because mm-hmm. that's how big they were when he came off right. the road. <sighs> Early treatment, people. Yeah. Early yeah. treatment. Well, and science that he's helped fund now. Don't uh, run a marathon without <laughs> proper checkups. Yeah, yeah, get your checkups for sure. Fox was readmitted to the Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster on June 19th, 1981 with chest congestion and developed pneumonia. He fell into a coma and died on June 28th, 1981 with his family by his side. The government of Canada ordered flags across the country lowered to half-mast, an unprecedented honor that was usually reserved for statesmen. Mm, mm-hmm. States humans. Mm. States people, you're right. His funeral in Port Coquitlam was attended by 40 relatives and 200 guests and broadcast Ooh. on national television. Hundreds... Wait, did he get as far as Port Coquitlam? Well, <laughs> once they flew him there for cancer treatment. Well, oh, he... I see. Yeah. 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 Hundreds of communities across Canada also held memorial services. A public memorial service was held in Parliament Hill in Ottawa, and Canadians again overwhelmed the Cancer Society office with donations. A 1999 national survey named him as Canada's greatest hero, and he finished second to Tommy Douglas, the father of Canada's single-payer universal health care program, in the 2004 CBC program, The Greatest Canadian. And grandfather to Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, yeah, Kiefer Sutherland's grandfather, Mm -hmm. Tommy Douglas. Mm -hmm. As a note by September... So, thank you and no thank you. (laughs) <laughs> I would say they almost cancel each other out. Yeah, they're pretty they're pretty much levels the the playing field on the scales of justice. And uh, as a note, by September 2013, the cure rate for osteosarcoma in younger patients is almost up to 80%. Oh, there you well, go. So that's better than 50%. Better than 50 and way better than that 15 that was Man. two years before. Mm-hmm. So this has led to the Terry Fox run. Beginning the year... When, at- when they dig his body up. Yep. And they, like, attach him to a robot, and he runs across the country every year. This happens in Canada every year. Terry yeah, Fox run. we're yeah. super morbid mm-hmm. here in Canada. Yep. Beginning the year after his death, the Terry Fox run has been held annually to continue to raise funds for cancer research. It is volunteer-driven, inclusive, non-competitive, and accepts no corporate sponsorships. To date, it has raised over $650 million for cancer research. You know what to do? To get a guy in, like, a black suit. And uh-huh. then put Terry, Box, Terry Fox's bones all over the suit. And then he runs. <laughs> oh, like Terry Fox is still running. Yeah, there you go. Wasn't it the Terry Fox Foundation that turned down a, a possible sponsorship by the federal government? 
Um, no, it was the the Harper conservatives yeah. were offering some some sort of funding only if they yeah I don't remember the exact story yeah but, their conditions yeah. and they were like no yeah. yeah 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 the Terry Fox run has spread internationally to forty countries around the world mm-hmm. including Cuba who had two point six million participants in two thousand six for the record Cuba has not quite twelve million people. But that could be one participant running the race 2.6 million times. It absolutely could. I cannot... Yeah, no. It could be just one really dedicated Terry Fox fan. A country that's in the news recently, Syria, held Terry Fox runs from 1991 till 2010. The 2010 run had actually 3,000 participants. Of course, they stopped in 2011 because of the Syrian civil war. Mm -hmm. So I just want to point out, there are probably Syrian refugees who have run in the Terry Fox run. Oh, good practice. Yeah. Good practice for getting away. Until the That's probably the, the, why they're refugees and not, uh, you know, victims. <laughs> okay, right? yeah. You sure. know? That's, 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 that's good training. That's how you get more Terry Fox runs around the world. When you're in, like, countries that, you know, periodically get a little war-torn. Just like, hey, you <laughs> know little... what? You probably want to keep in shape. Yeah. Just in case you got to make you flee across a border somewhere. Uh, war-torn, like a little micro-tear or something? Yeah. 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 And then you want to watch out for the... For the uh, <laughs> TV uh, videographers who tried to trip you. Oh, yes. Oh. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember this whole Terry Fox. I think I was about 11 when this happened. And I was so excited because I lived uh, in Chilliwack, which basically the highway that he would be running down was I could walk there. Yeah. And there was an overpass over the highway. And in my 11 year old head, I was thinking I'm going to be right on that overpass when he walks, when he runs underneath. And it's going to be so awesome. Yeah. And then he died. He ruined yeah. your dreams. He spoiled your dreams. Yeah, that's Joe. right. Cancer spoiled my dreams, man. <laughs> cancer did, not Terry. <laughs> but I, Terry Fox created your dream in the first place, right. which was spoiled right. by cancer. And then cancer took it. Fuck yeah. cancer. Cancer gave you a dream no, and then took Terry it away. Fox Terry, gave you Terry a dream, gave me a dream. Cancer gave Terry Fox, Fox a dream. dream. That's right. Terry to gave give me you. a dream. Thank you, cancer. Yeah. <sighs> and I want to point out also Terry Fox runs that happen depending where they are. Sometimes you can bike them. Sometimes you can walk them. Sometimes you can run them. So if oh, they don't make you do it on a little uh, wooden or no, a little no, metal no. leg. <laughs> they don't make you uh, skip hop. No, not not that I'm aware of. Uh, yeah, I think you can do them however you'd like. Really. Yeah, so. and take as long as you like. Yeah. So I could show up. Yeah. With a fake leg. Um. And skip hop it. And skip hop it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Nobody would look askance. Well, a fake leg right in the middle, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do that thing. Pogo stick. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up for the next one that I do, and I'm going to barrel roll it. Oh, yeah. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be yeah. right there behind you. Yeah. It's, it's for the stats you. of basophobic. <laughs> right. It's pushing you down the yeah. hill. Right. The, the, kind of like the stick yeah, poop stick, thing. Yeah. Yeah, You'll yeah. Be rep- yeah, you're representing all the stats of basophobics. That's right. right you, yeah, you just hold on to your legs. You. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on your ankles with your feet and all. Yeah, you'll just hoop. Roll yeah. you down the hill. Stick and hoop me. Now watch the truth. The tremulous stare of your youth Are you blinded by the glare too? Just for a moment I could look forever All I saw was you Everything else I could sever 
In the news. 2013, Kenya, Africa. Mm. Noor Osman Hassan said cheetahs were attacking his goat herd over several weeks. Right. These cheetahs killed 15 of my goats. They were coming to my house daily to kill them. Yeah, but when you find a giant herd of goats yeah, that delicious, are delicious goats stuck in a pen where That's they right. can't get away, and you can run 100 kilometers an hour. Man, I can hop this fence. Yeah, yeah. He said he decided to return to his village to organize their capture at a time of day when cheetahs get very tired and usually rest in shade. Okay. I was sipping a cup of tea when I saw them killing another goat. All right. He said. This was early in the morning. Got it. He waited until several hours later when the sun was high to go after them. Right. And he was oh, this is, per- is going to start out like a persistence hunting story. Uh, yep. Uh, I called some youths. Ooh. Or in the immortal words of a great philosopher, some youths. Youths. Yep. Youths. Called some youths and we ran after them. Hassan and his group chased the cheetahs uh, for four miles before they were too exhausted to continue. Ah. We caught them and we brought them to the local authorities. And we cut some photos here that we're going to put up on causticsodapodcast.com. All right. Huh. Hassan hopes the authorities will compensate him for his lost goats. Oh, well, you know, I mean, I uh, wouldn't hold your breath. Uh, well, <laughs> on the one what? hand, I wouldn't hold my breath. On the other hand, cheetahs are endangered, mm-hmm. and those authorities don't want farmers to kill cheetahs. Okay. So a non-kill capture might be rewarded. 
I don't know, okay. though. I, I haven't found any details on that. All right. Oh, uh, yeah. 2013. I was going to suggest he could um, eat the cheetahs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you yeah, go. no, don't. Uh... I don't think you can milk cheetahs, though, and that's probably what he's got the goats for. Yeah. Uh-huh. 2015, London. Harvard Business School graduate Kieran Gandhi ran the entire London Marathon without a tampon or other sanitary products. Okay. So do many people. Yeah, that's Big right. deal. That's, that's nothing special. <laughs> Women in many countries don't have access to feminine hygiene products, which can, which can make it difficult to go to work or go to school and can result in infection. Mm-hmm. Gandhi said, I ran with blood dripping down my legs for sisters who don't have access to tampons and sisters who, despite cramping and pain, hide it away and pretend like it doesn't exist. Oh, so it's like a solidarity thing. Yeah. She's making a statement. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of pictures of what was going on. Uh-huh. Um, people are like, why would you do this? And so this was kind of a raising awareness. And there's been actually a few things in the last year where women have been like, hey, you know, um, people bleed. And uh, that's just a thing that we just kind of have to, you mm-hmm. know, be OK mm-hmm. with because that happens. Because for the record, women <laughs> yeah. are people. Is it possible that she started running and then her flow began? And then she she came up with this r- rationale. That's right. Oh, the, I forgot. I she didn't had bring any miles. tampons with me. She had 26 miles to think of, what can I say that will make this sound better? <laughs> According to her blog, she started the night before. But, okay. Uh, okay. you know. Right. You know, whatever. So can we talk, we're, we're talking about a running episode, but briefly, what's going on in these underdeveloped countries? Oh, um, so... It depends where you are. There's a lot of stigma depending where you are and on obtaining feminine hygiene products. Uh, in some cases, it's just a matter of poverty and they're mm. kind of expensive. There's been actually cases, there's a really great organization in India whose name I can't remember, um, who is actually teaching local women to produce their own feminine hygiene products as like a local business. And so I think in India, they said out of 355 million women who could menstruate, only 15% have access to to these products. And so you can mm-hmm. end up with things like there's some suggestion that this actually increases the rate of cervical cancer if you don't have access to these products. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also possibilities for infection. So this is this is a really big deal. And it's thought mm-hmm. that this is this causes a lot of really negative health effects. Why so. didn't Mother Nature design vaginas <laughs> and uh, it's uh, all a that? <laughs> the, the, all that business down there, like it, design it so it had a like, kind of a self cleaning oven well, function. Well, most <laughs> mammals do actually. Uh-huh. So uh, humans are one of the very few mammals that actually menstruate. Most, because um, you think about it, so the uterine li- lining is shed, right, yeah, uh-huh. and that's what causes the flow. And most, and, and by that you mean they go to a shed to. <laughs> yeah. To be away oh, yes. from everyone this else. This is the other thing. There's a lot of stigma in some places. Um, and so w- women end up going to, having to go to the period shed. They can't go to school. They can't oh. go to work. So they, they actually pull women out of school um, yeah. during their periods. And, yeah. and, because, and this is sort of a big issue. But anyway, yeah. most mammals, they actually reabsorb the uterine lining. Because mm. it makes it like, why on earth would you just like, that is like calories and like, yeah. m- you know, protein that is exiting sounds like these other animals got the intelligent design yeah 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 so it's it's actually a big question in evolutionary biology why why us lucky humans got to got it working out that way yeah (laughs) but evidently you can still run a marathon oh yeah so bada bing bada boom in your face and the uterine wall help help with with period cramps so you know Hmm. the current medical advice is run anyway you run until you get the runner's high right exactly and then ah nothing matters (laughs) Yeah. 
All right, 2013, South Africa. I'm going to give a little uh, background on who this was. Uh This is uh, the story of Oscar Pistorius. He's a South African sprint runner. Mm -hmm. Although both of Pistorius' legs were amputated below the knee when he was 11 months old, he has competed in events for single below-knee amputees and for able-bodied athletes and is known as the Blade Runner. Yeah, he's got the spring legs. He's got got those those, little curvy... They look springy but you're not allowed to actually have springs yeah now uh, is this the narrated version or the not narrated version of blade runner <laughs> of blade. Uh, yes. <laughs> director's yeah. cut yeah uh-huh. pistorius was born with fibular hemimelia which is congenital absence of the fibula the fibula is the smaller bone uh on the bottom of your leg yeah. so you've got your upper leg and your on your lower leg so he's born with no bone uh no bone in either of those legs. So when he was 11, 11 months old, his legs were amputated halfway between his knees and his ankles. I find this confusing. So I broke my tibia and my fibula, mm-hmm. and the doctors fixed the tibia right up by running a metal bar through it. Right. The fibula was broken, and they're like, well, it's not weight-bearing, so whatever, and it'll just heal. My guess is you, you can't have this when you're growing. I guess. Because you probably need that yeah. to hold your t- your tibula in place, right? Tibia? Uh, tibia? Yeah. Tibia? Fibula. 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 Da, 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 da. Yeah. Joe can't pronounce Latin words. <laughs> We're not medical experts. <laughs> Me either. After becoming a Paralympic champion, Pistorius attempted to enter able-bodied international competition over mm-hmm. persistent objections of the IAAF and charges that his artificial limbs gave an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. He eventually prevailed he's in his legal dispute. Because bionic man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was certainly the claim amongst the uh, detractors. At the 2011 World Championships in Athletics, Pistorius became the first amputee to win an able-bodied world track medal. At the 2012 Summer Olympics, Pistorius became the first double-leg amputee to participate in Olympics when he entered the men's 400 meters and 4x400 meters relay races. And then at the 2012 Summer Paralympics, Pistorius won gold medals in the men's 400 meter race and the 4x100 meters relay, setting world records in both events. However, Uh there's a a dark side. There's a big butt here. He got it, cancer in, the, in Thunder Bay, Ontario. In the early morning of Thursday, 14th of February, 2013, Pistorius claims to have heard an intruder in his bathroom. He was in South Africa at the time yeah. uh, on his estate, yeah. uh, where apparently intruders are not that surprising. Yeah. Not wearing his blades, he grabbed his pistol from under his bed and crept towards the bathroom, holding it in front of him. Mm. Overcome with fear at what he thought was the door opening, he fired four shots into it. When he returned to his bed to check on his girlfriend, South African model Riva Steenkamp, he discovered she was not there. Pistorius then broke down the bathroom door with a cricket bat, found Steenkamp's bleeding body on the toilet, called her neighbor, an ambulance, and his estate security before carrying her out the front door in his arms. Mm. Police and ambulance arrived, and Steenkamp was pronounced dead. Yeah. This was a big story. I remember this being in the news about, you know, I mean, uh, it is kind of weird that you... uh, Now, uh, I believe I'm correct in saying that Pistorius had, at this point in time, a history of domestic violence? Nope. No, none. Uh, mm. So what it was, was uh, they... Uh, That's looked, not what I heard. No. So he it was a very loving relationship, but they found like one message from her saying, uh, sometimes you scare me when you snap at me. Mm. But uh, all other evidence showed that while he would get kind of jealous when certain things would happen, he would express that to her and they would talk it out and it would be fine. Mm. There was no evidence that he was abusive at all.
Well, that's not that's not <clears throat> what was in the news. However, forensic psychiatrist Dr. Merrill Vorster testified that Pistorius has generalized anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. which is characterized by excessive, uncontrollable, and often irrational worry and apprehensive expectation about events or activities, and that he is a distrusting and guarded person, hypervigilant about security, mm-hmm. and also that in a fight-or-flight situation, he is more likely to stand up to threatening situations than mm-hmm. to flee due to his disability. Well, ironic, because he's such a good runner. Yeah. Right, you know, right. like yeah, if, you yeah. did, if you decided flight when you're like a world class runner, yeah. there's not much chance that the guy's going to catch you. Although not when he's without his blades attached. And you sleep just, with those blades on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there yeah. you go. That's right. Pistorius vomited multiple times in court as the state pathologist delivered graphic testimony about the nature of Steenkamp's injuries. Mm-hmm. Johann Stander, manager of the estate where Pistorius lived, testified that Pistorius called at 3.18 a.m. saying, please, please come to my house. I shot Riva. I thought she was an intruder. Please, please come quick. He went with his daughter and found Pistorius coming down the stairs with Steenkamp in his arms. He was broken. He was screaming. He was crying. He was praying. I saw the truth that morning. Mm -hmm. So he believes that this was an accident, right? Right. Uh Pistorius was found guilty of culpable homicide Ooh, which right. is not first degree murder it's like it's like man's laughter uh it's sort when, of or maybe second degree what like, basically it's uh it's when they, robert culp commits a murder they didn't uh-huh. prove that he meant to kill his girlfriend uh-huh. but he definitely meant to shoot a person that he thought was in his bathroom and that's against the law right because you don't know if they are have deadly intent or right, whatever exactly right? okay. so it wasn't a pre-planned i'm going to kill my girlfriend that's what it the was court a, found. it was i'm going to kill who's ever whoever is in there and I've read the whole Wikipedia article on the trial of Oscar Pistorius, and yeah. there's a lot of people talking about about what he was like and, and what they saw that night and stuff. I'm pretty convinced of his story. Right. Right? Okay. If his story is not true, he is a master actor. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Master. And I don't think he is. I don't know. I think it's it's possible to kill some to plan to kill someone and then be really sorry about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this happened on Valentine's Day, I find a little like, how do you not notice that someone is not in bed with you? Like, hmm. you know, that's a, I didn't I didn't go too much into yeah. the details of it. So they had some uh, his air conditioning wasn't working. They had mm. fans set up at the window mm. and he got up and talked to her and said, I'm going to go fix those fans. Mm. And then when he was go- head, about to head back to the bed, heard something in the bathroom and then went to do oh, that. So she got up. She got up after he got uh, up. Right. Okay. And he thought when he went to the bathroom, she was still back in the bed. Right. But let's face it. If you have generalized anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. don't have a gun under your bed. Don't have a gun. Like yeah. the worst would happen is he would have bashed that door down and come racing in and she'd be on the can going, what are you doing? Right. right. But instead right. it's a gun. So he fired four rounds and killed her. Well, I'm not going to take a strong stand on this. All I know is somebody's dead and somebody went to jail. Yeah. Yep. So he was uh, sentenced to the maximum of five years, mm-hmm. and uh, the minimum that he, he has to serve in prison is one-sixth of that. Yeah. He did, and was released under correctional supervision and house arrest on October 19th, 2015, which is only a few days ago. Yep, as of this recording. And he's apparently been a model inmate, uh, and st- uh, the psychiatrists are all saying he's actually a suicide risk because he's mm-hmm. still just totally wrecked about his girlfriend being Can he dead. run himself to death? He could, but probably more likely to slide his throat with his blades. Oh. Are they that sharp? I oh, hope man. so. Did you see uh, the Kingsmen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That girl with the blades. Yeah. Legs. Yeah, she could. She had blades for legs. Yeah, and she would slice people in mm, half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pop culture. Speaking of the Kingsmen. Torin, did you watch Atanarju at the Fast Runner? I did not. Let's skip that then. <laughs> I saw it. Oh, did you? Yeah, I saw it when it came out. I saw it in theaters because it was like. Okay. Uh, People were talking about it like it was a big deal. And uh, the big deal was the entire movie was shot 
in uh, one of the Inuit Inuktitut. languages. Yeah, yeah exactly. it is the first Inuktitut language feature film. Uh -huh. And uh, so the entire movie was in that language and subtitled, and which was fine. But it was it was it was a very average story to say. I, I would agree with that. Why is he like, running? He started running because he was caught having sex with somebody else's woman. Oh, mm -hmm. and he started to sexy had, times. It was sexy times leading and then it was to running times. It was running times, fully naked. <laughs> Good magazine, okay. by the way. Across the Arctic. Oh, yeah. yeah. What? Uh, naked. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was I was in the pool. That would cause some <laughs> I was in the pool. <laughs> that would cause some nipple fissures, I think. Oh Well, naked? No. No shirt. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And so yeah, so that that's uh, you know, kind of the climax of the film. Uh the post climax climax. Uh, yeah. I uh, I also have this bit of trivia from it. While this film would never get SPCA approval, every animal killed was used in true Inuit fashion. All the meat was consumed, and the skins were put to practical use. There you go. Because I guess there's actually scenes in there of uh, butchering some. Animals. Oh yeah, it's a, like it's a very realistic depiction of life in the Arctic, like you know, thousands of years ago. Uh, I'm sure that that's exactly how it all went down. Oh, so it's not a modern movie. It is not set in the modern age. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's supposed to be set, you know, before white men came to America. Okay. Yeah, and uh, but it, so it was interesting but i certainly was oh I, that got a lot more attention than it probably deserved based just on its own merits well now i feel like i don't have to watch it. well unless you want to see a guy run across the arctic with his dingling now uh, i feel like i do have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh there are slow motion videos on youtube of naked running just in case you're curious about what happens with unsupported running well mm -hmm. full circle we can talk yeah. about edward mybridge who is like slow motion photography there's a movie that came out last year shot in vancouver by a couple of guys that i know uh and uh starring an actor named uh, michael eckland as edward mybridge and it's all about his slow motion photography and one of the things was huh. getting That's horses right. and yep. people to run through this like really inventive array of his and uh and everybody had to do it naked so you could see the full mm -hmm. effect on the on the mm -hmm. bodies as they did it Cool. The buttocks slapping yeah, yeah. together. Mm -hmm. So, and it's called uh, it's called Edward. His, his uh, even though his name was Edward, it was spelt E A D W E A R D. Edward. Yeah. Edward. It's a very it's a very strange yeah, spelling. It's actually kind of amazing when you watch someone run. Like you can see the shock waves as each step lands, like just kind of working its way through the muscle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, in Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, uh, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli run after the hobbits that have been captured by orcs. Yep. The distance is estimated at 135 miles, and they say that they only stopped twice, mm -hmm. meaning they'd run 35 miles per day. That sounds like bullshit. <laughs> kind of does, especially with the dwarf. Yeah, it, it was the full armor the actually armor. that yeah. really <laughs> made yeah. me me think this probably couldn't happen. That's over uh, like almost 60 kilometers a day, I right. think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, wow, talk about bloody nipples with that breastplate yeah. stuff going on. Seriously, that, that chainmail, chain which mail is and like breastplate. Uh, yeah, you might as well not. You, you might as well give your nipples up. It's like they might. As, they gotta go. Uh, just not nipples. Like all that weight, it's gonna be rubbing against everything. You're gonna have chafed yeah. shoulders. Yeah, yeah the like, chafing yeah. that happens with distance running, even with proper running outfits. I yeah. have heard screams from the uh, shower as as a guy has hot water <laughs> hit an area that might chafe quite a lot <laughs> sounds like a good time <laughs> running everybody it's worth it it is i swear chafing and inflammation just one of the many <laughs> benefits of running for all you fans of chafing and inflammation start running 
Uh, how about Run, Lola, Run, Kevin? Like, that's one of your favorites, right? Uh, I've seen that movie. So have I. Uh, have you, uh, I, like, it, the thing that I liked about Run, Lola, Run is that it caught me by surprise when it kind of reset the button and went back to the beginning. Like, yeah. Like, it became... That when it became this like pseudo time travel movie almost, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was the part that I found the most inventive. But I did hear an interview uh, with um, uh, Tom Tickfer, who was the director uh, of the movie, and uh, he talked about how when they started filming, um, uh, um, what's her name, Franca Potenta, mm-hmm. who plays Lola, she you know was she came showed up and you know was in kind of her regular shape and so they put this outfit on her and of course everything happens on the same day she's always wearing the same outfit but you'll notice like in the movie if you kind of pay attention the like length of her her crop top shirt and mm-hmm. the height of her pants mm-hmm. changes throughout the movie mm-hmm. because what started to happen was um, she as she ran in the movie she started to get in better and better and better shape so she went from being kind of just average to being kind of ripped so they had to like actually lengthen her crop top to cover up like how good her abs were getting oh, and see. stuff and the, the pants had to get higher so they had to like narrow the gap you just feed her more donuts or something like that. yeah exactly just keep her doughy right but it's like uh, the, this was kind of his, his biggest struggle continuity wise right. with the film is it drives him crazy watching the movie that the size of the shirt changes <laughs> all the time that's fantastic but it's uh, such compelling storytelling and stuff like that I, 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 I didn't notice it until he brought it up no I, yeah. yeah and it's so fast paced I think uh, yeah. I read that it has an average uh, shot length of like 2.7 seconds yeah wow. that, that makes a lot of sense and I you know uh, um, yeah and, and, and for anybody who hasn't seen it it's well worth the watch and mm-hmm. you know be prepared for this, this storyline to stop and repeat multiple times which yeah. is uh, the, I got the most interesting part in fact, a Nintendo game designer, Yoshiaki Koizumi, called Run Lola Run one of the main inspirations he had when he came up with the idea behind the Nintendo 64 game, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, which also involves rewinding time until you get what you want. Oh, and, and his original title was Legend of Zora Run Majora's Mask Run. <laughs> run Link Run. <laughs> mm-hmm. The thing that I remember most about this movie is that she gets shot in Jason Bourne 2. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she does. Very memorable scene. Mm-hmm. We talked about running in games. There is a game for smartphones called Zombies Run. I have this. Do you? I do. Uh, In it, players act as the character Runner 5 through a series of missions during which they run and listen to various audio narrations to uncover the story. While running, the player collects supplies such as ammunition, medicine, and batteries, which can be used to build and expand their base. And you can uh-huh. apparently expand the base when you're not running. Yeah, so yeah. there's a thing to do when you're not out running. Yeah. The app can record the distance, time, pace, and calories burned on each mission through the use of the phone's GPS or accelerometer. Ooh. So wait, wait, wait. Hold on a sec. So you run... And then your character in the game gets to run? No, no. So what it is, is the kind of idea is that you are part of a post-apocalyptic sort of survivors group. And your job is, as one of those members, is to go out and collect supplies for the post-apocalyptic survivors group. Uh That's your run. And that's your run. And so as you're running, it'll be like, oh, you like, you know, picked up a, a medical pack or you picked up food. But as you run, there's also a story that goes on. So one thing, you know, they'll have you go out of the gate and they have like the gate closing and all this. And then it says, OK, so your mission today is to go to this area where there's a hospital. We want you at the hospital to pick up medical supplies. And and it's all voice acted. And that's what really gets me with with runs with uh, zombies run is like the voice acting's really good. The stories are really compelling. And, and it's to, yeah. you're like listening to it while you're on your own personal yeah, run. Yeah. Yeah. And so it tells you um, when you first begin, you've just. Um, 
your helicopter has crashed, and so you have to run from the helicopter to the base, and it'll kind of tell you things that are happening as you as you go along. And so you're, it's really immersive. Like you're like. So do yeah. you have to like tell it how long you're planning on running so the story uh, stretches out to the right time, or do you just like you're running and you're only like halfway to where you need to go, and then they go story over. So they tend to run sort of twenty minutes or so, which mm-hmm. is kind of a standard length run. I've done a couple of run a couple of those like they're sort of like little podcast stories as mm-hmm. you're running. So I've done a couple of them on a run. The other thing you can do is you can, um, if you add Is in, part of the story, mm-hmm. just like, look out behind you! Yeah, ah, yeah. Run so, faster! So one, one thing that you have the choice if you want to turn on is zombie attacks. So mm. what happens is you say, oh, like you can start hearing zombies behind you and you have to speed up. And then it bases, ba- yeah, it, they, you hear that and it's actually kind of scary. And then so what they do is they, uh, they look at your pace before that and they look at how fast you're going and so you can either outrun or not outrun the zombies depending on how fast you If you don't outrun, the game's over. Uh, no, if you don't outrun, what happens is you drop some of the supplies that you collected. Uh, and I was going to so, say, you become a zombie and they have to yeah. chase, you have to chase <laughs> other people uh, with the app a chaser. to find them. Uh, you know, this the would have been is- more exciting. I would like this more because I'm not a huge zombie fan. But if you're being chased by... Um, Sandman from Logan's oh. Run. Oh, and then Run, it, runner. Yeah, and it was called not Zombies Run, but Logan's Run. Well, if this and you're Logan, be- if this game becomes really popular, what they probably do is use your GPS to find out where your exact position are, and then have actors like actually start chasing you. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, like it's not no longer a sound effect. There's somebody yeah. like a uh, Truman you know, Show the game machete wielding zombie taking you down. <laughs> And if he hits you, you can't play the game for a month or something. Oh, <laughs> I'm well, dead. I can't. Ah. No. Sometimes no, you have to. You've lost a leg. You have to run the rest of this game on one leg. Uh. <laughs> hop step. Hop step. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, "I hope I don't go crazy today." It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that will. When the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you And you'll have things you'll want to hear about We will too Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson While I slowly attached leeches to his body to comment on episodes and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Support us at patreon.com slash causticsoda. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at causticpodcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Gregory Milne. Thanks for listening. He was forced to stop briefly after he suffered an intense coughing fit and experienced chains in his pest. Pain, <laughs> pains in his chest. <laughs> Chains I'm gonna on your do chest that. There is something else. Yeah. Well, it probably felt like he had chains on his pest. Yeah, right. You know, like he's like, I can't breathe. I wish my, I had like chains on my pest. I wish my pests had more chains. I could just drag them out of the house. Oh yeah, there you go. Ooh, what about chains in your pesto? That's what you don't want, unless they're made of pasta. Pasta <laughs> they, chains they, in your pesto. They could be amino chains. Uh?
Oh. I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah, that, that's polypeptides. Okay. Okay. Chains there you go. Ah, it's polypeptide yeah. frosting. Yeah. You get uh, you get the grinder. You get some fresh polypeptide on your uh, chain mm. pasta with uh, on your pesto. Yeah. It's mostly gluten. You'll die. <laughs> <laughs> 